It is kind of neat how sometimes things work out when uh, you least expect it. Because it was a few months back and I mentioned to pastor, I said, um, I know that you're human, you get sick from time to time, and there's a chance that you may not really be well and all healthy some Friday morning for service. And so I told him, I said, if you want, I, I heard a sermon and I really liked it. And so I started doing some research and stuff. And so I was, thought I'd prepare some stuff in case you're ever ill, emergency, get called out of town or something. I said, I could, I could have something on standby if you just give me like a week or so notice. And he kind of had one of those looks in his eyes like, have I got a plan for you? <laughs> so I was like, okay. And he mentioned uh, coming in May and he knew that this trip back to India was coming up. And so he said, yeah, you could fill in for a couple weeks then. So I really appreciate it because I do enjoy sharing the word. I enjoy uh, talking about the Lord, uh, what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for me. And uh, it kind of also reminds me of a story back in, uh, a few years back I'd heard the story of a, a young boy who went off to Bible college. And he went to Bible college to learn more about the Word of God. He wanted to be a preacher and tell people about what the Lord's done for him. And so during the first few weeks, he thought he'd get his Bible and head out to the street corner and just start telling people about Jesus. And so he's standing on the street corner and he's telling people about how the Lord's changed his life. And a small crowd starts to gather and some people start to gather around him and are listening and stuff. And as he's, as he's sharing this, some guy walks up and he's a skeptic and he's one of these critical people and he's just kind of sitting in the back and he's just kind of staring at him and he kind of interrupts after a minute of listening to the young man and he says, excuse me, young man, he says, do you mean to tell me you believe everything in that Bible? Well, the young man's like, yeah, I believe it's the word of God. God wrote it. It's, it's everything in there is true. He goes, so you, you believe all the miracles in that Bible then? He's like, well, the miracles are from God too. I believe every miracle in there. And he says, well, so I believe, I think you would believe the, the story of Jonah and the whale and how he was swallowed by the whale and lived in the whale and was able to survive somehow. Yeah, that's one that's in there. I believe it too. He says, well, let me ask you one question then. So all the people are now kind of watching real carefully and he's like, can you tell me how he managed to survive inside that whale for so long? And the young man's like, well, I don't know. I guess when I die and go to heaven, I'll just ask him myself then. And he's like, oh, and so what if he wasn't saved? What if he died and went to hell? Well, then you can ask him. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> so you guys probably already heard that story before, but it's pretty good because uh, there are a lot of skeptics out there. There's the skeptics out there who believe the story may be just an allegory. It's not necessarily true, but Jesus talked about it. We'll probably get into more of that next week, but we'll try to get through as much of this as we can uh, this week. And uh, it, it, we'll start off a little bit slow. We'll gain some speed. Whereas some places we'll stop and we'll drill pretty deep and you can pull out the stuff that applies to us as individuals, as a church. And there's a lot of good stuff. Jonah is a great book that's uh, very relevant to today. It may have been written thousands of years ago, but it's very relevant and we'll see that as we go on. So before we get started, let's open in a word of prayer real quick and ask the Lord to bless our time. And, and Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful this, that each and every story in here is true. It's a story that we can put in our lives. And Lord, during this next little while, I pray, Lord, that we'll put aside ourselves, put aside me. May the Lord come through in what is said, what is read, what is preached, what is taught. May Jesus Christ be glorified in all that's done and said. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So uh, Jonah is a minor prophet, and you've probably heard that. And minor is not necessarily because it's a lesser story. It's a, considered a minor prophet because just the size of the book. It's only four short chapters. It's not very long. So they call it a minor prophet. And so if you do have your Bibles, if you have one of the good old-fashioned Bibles, you can turn in there, and it's between Obadiah and Micah. And from the look on Dave Taylor's face, that didn't help him at all. So he's, 
And there's nothing wrong if you need to use the concordance. You can use the concordance in your Bible. That way I don't get to the end of the sermon. Good job. He's got his out there. I get to the end of the sermon and Dave's like, I got it, Brian. I found it. Here it is. Found Jonah. So uh, it's a minor prophet, but the story is very relevant to today. So if you turn there, we're going to be talking about uh, a rebel on the run. And it's not this kind of rebel. This kind of rebel here is a Honda rebel. That's a... Um, a Honda Rebel is a, a motorcycle. That's pretty reliable and runs good. We're talking about this kind of rebel, somebody who's wandering, somebody who's fleeing from the Lord, either on purpose, and you may find out you're a rebel by omission, sometimes more than commission. And so uh, it might be a little bit more like this rebel. And uh, we're going to read here the first few verses in Jonah chapter 1. So follow along with me, if you will. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and I do thank Robert for uh, reading this earlier, so it's having to go through the whole thing at once, because this is going to take some time. Uh, Son of Amnitai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. If you look at the very first part of this, he says, The word of the Lord came to. And you, put, you can put your name in there. We put my name in there. And the word of the Lord, everything we do in our life, and I, I was even talking with Godfrey about it earlier, I was like, I wish I would have learned earlier in life just to totally trust the Lord with everything in my life. Because what what is the word of the Lord telling us? We need to be open to that. It, it should encompass who we marry. It should encompass the job we take. Before we move halfway around the world to move to Abu Dhabi, we should be praying about those kind of things. I get to the point now where I pray for the cars I buy. I pay for the vacations we go on. Before we even go on vacation, we went about a month or a month and a half ago with John and Annalise. We went up to Fujairah and spent about three days in a resort up there. And before we drove and left off, we stopped and had a word of prayer because we want the Lord to lead and guide everything we do. That's not silly to me. That's letting the Lord take control to drive our lives, to lead us, to guide us. And so what is the word of the Lord trying to tell us? And so and through this, I hope that we can all say, hey, I think the Lord, or maybe we're not trying to pay attention to the Lord. We have our agenda, our story. So hopefully we can pay attention to what the Lord, word of the Lord is for us today. It says, it goes on, it says, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it, to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So, a little bit of story and background here. Most people understand Tarshish. Tarshish was a really bad place. You understand Jonah is a prophet from the Lord. He's a, he's a Hebrew. He's one of his chosen people. Tarshish is a really bad bunch of people. And reading some of the historical stuff on it, there's a really good paper out there by, um, oh, I can't remember the name. I didn't write it down, but it was Mark somebody. But anyway, he had a really good... Uh, article there, and he talked about how bad and wicked the people of Nineveh were. I know there's some young kids around, so I'll kind of edit it down a little bit, but they were really mean people. They would go to war with people. They would make monuments of the dead to the dead. They would capture, they would torture, enslave the people. There was at least three specific instances where they tried to totally wipe the Israelites off the place of the earth. They just tried to annihilate them all. There's a good chance there was a fourth one, too, that was pretty well put together. But at least three times, they tried to totally annihilate Jonah's people. So seeing this as a background, no wonder he really didn't like Nineveh. They're not the same faith we are. They're not the same people we are. He's almost a little bit racist here, if you want to say that. Well, they're of a different belief. They're of a different faith. They're of a different nationality. I don't really care for them. 
Well, that kind of makes it nice that we're in a church like this with so many different nationalities. It doesn't make a difference. We all need to, all need to tell folks about the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Nineveh was a real bad place, and so um, to keep it rated G for children and stuff, the people there were totally against the Lord. So for all of a sudden God to come to him and tell him that I want you to go and tell these people that they're, what they're doing is evil, what has come up in my sight, it's, it's really not, it's easy to sit here in church, let's say it this way, it's easy to sit here in church where we can have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or something, have a biscuit, sit back and say, well, you should have followed the Lord, my goodness, if the Lord was telling him to do it, he should have done it. Do you know that modern day Nineveh is Mosul, Iraq? where the Taliban, where ISIS is at. That's the great, 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 great grand ancestry, if you want to say, of modern day Taliban in Iraq. So that's like telling somebody who's a Hebrew to go in the middle of all the Taliban in Iraq and say, hey guys, what you're doing is making God a little upset. So let's not do this. So now do you see a little bit more maybe why he didn't want to go there? These people were bad people. They tried to kill all of his people. He probably had friends who died in the wars. He probably had relatives or new people. And so he's like, God, you want me to go where? I'm going to go this way. And I believe that uh, the next, next slide here is that uh, in, out of one, Psalm 138, yeah, or 139, 7 and 8, he's a prophet. So he knows that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. Can you really run from the presence of an all-present God? That kind of seems silly. Well, he's a prophet, and he knows this kind of stuff. So if you look in Psalm here, it says this. It says, whether shall I go from my spirit, or whether shall I flee from my presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Pretty hard to flee from a God who is everywhere, who's ever-present. So Jonah realized, okay, that's kind of silly. We're thinking, you know, that's kind of foolish of him trying to run from a God who's everywhere, who's all-present, all-powerful. But Jonah does not like these people. He's thinking, you know, God, don't just tell me that you're going to judge him. Just judge him. <laughs> don't just threaten to kill him. Just kill him. You don't need me to tell him. I'm not going to tell him nothing. I'm not going to do anything like that. You just take him out. It don't, doesn't bother me a bit. So you know what? I'm just going to run the other direction. So see, even if you can track me down, even if you can get me, I'm going to be so far away, it's going to be too late, and you need to judge him. So that's what his, I mean, that's got to be what his thinking is. Because he knows he can't run from an ever-present God. And so... There's a, there's a map. Here's how serious and how committed and how he was about not following the Lord. For him to leave where he was at and go to Nineveh, if you, see, if you can see the map pretty good, the red dotted line that goes off to the right there is the route to Nineveh. It's around 800 kilometers by land. No water involved. <laughs> He's on dry land the whole time, 800 kilometers away. But he was so serious about fleeing from the Lord that he would rather have gone to Tarshish, which is in the bottom part of current-day Spain, more than 4,000 kilometers in the other direction. He'd rather be 4,000 kilometers out of God's will than 800 kilometers in God's will. And I don't know about you, that just seems foolish in itself as well. There's a, another part, if you look at the at the end of, uh, of verse 3, where it says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, went down to Joppa, he found a ship. Notice, the Lord didn't provide that. He, he's looking for a ship going to Tarshish. He's going the other way. And look what it says here. It says, So he paid the fare and went down into it. 
When we're fleeing from God, we have to pay the price. If he would have followed God, it would have cost him nothing. So now he's going to go against God, and he's going to pay for it. And there's a lot of other people going to pay for it, too, as we, we do know the story. But when we flee from God, we're the ones paying the price for that. God's going to cover it. Hey, you follow me. I'm going to provide because, hey, if, you know, it's easy for us again to look and say, oh, you should have followed God. I'd charge hell with a squirt gun if God told me to do it. No, that's like sometimes it. But he is going to pay the fare. He's going to flee from the Lord. He's going to run from him. And he's also going to pay the price for it, too. If uh, you, you notice the verses it uses in verse 3 goes down to Joppa. I've got Emily's little ESV Bible here. And it says in verse 3, it says he goes down to Joppa. He goes down into the ship. And whenever we run from God, we're going down, down, down. And sometimes we don't realize it. Sometimes we run like Jonah. There's, there's times we're saying, I don't want to do what God wants me to do. I have an agenda for my life. This is what it is, God. Here you go. Well, God's looking at his, he said, here's my agenda for your life. These don't match up very well. Well, I think it would be wise for us to follow God's plan for our life rather than us to make an agenda and just give God, like, here's our short order cook. I'm going to give this to God, and he needs to fill out the orders that I have for my life. I want a, a real nice car, a real nice job, real nice... God said, this is the plan I have for you. So sometimes our, our rebellion is that way, and sometimes it's by omission. Maybe we're here today, and sometimes our life just slips away. You know, a lot of us made New Year's resolutions back in January, right? Some do, some don't. I don't, but some do. <laughs> and in making those, it's now May, and those have kind of slipped away. We maybe made a promise to God, I want to read my Bible every day. I want to pray every day. Maybe just five minutes, but I want to pray every day. Maybe it's for the church, maybe it's the pastor, worship team, whatever it would be. I want to pray every day. And that's kind of maybe slipped away as each week is going by. We're here about halfway through the year, and maybe we've just kind of let things like that slide. And so we're not rebelling against God because you're in, you're, you're in church. <laughs> I'm not rebelling. But maybe those things have been sliding away slowly to where now we're like, hey, looking around, and I'm not sure I'm where I should be with the Lord. And I had to check my preparing this. I'd be the first to raise my hand and say that yeah, sometimes I recognize that in my life. And I need to come back to the Lord where he is and look at the paper that he has for me and say, okay, mine doesn't match up. So I need to get rid of my idea and follow the Lord's idea. And uh, so if, we've, if we're not following God, we're going down. And uh, just maybe don't realize it. There's a, a verse in Mark 16 and it says... Uh, it says, he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. There's no room for, there's no room for prejudice there. There's no room, no room for racism. There's no room for, I don't like them because they're from such and such a country. Because they're from Australia. And I don't like those Australians. They were prisoners to begin with. God should just judge them Australia. I don't like them. Oh, sorry, Dave. It's okay, man. No, it's true. That is, I do appreciate Dave, so... He has a good sense of humor about it. But regardless, God wants us to tell every creature. It doesn't matter if you're from America, South Africa, Australia, the Philippines. It doesn't matter where we're from. It's a command in the Bible for us to go and tell the good news to everybody. Is Jonah doing that? I don't think so. It doesn't seem that way. So the, God's... Uh, calling on his life. He's, he's, he's rather rebellious on that. This leads us to the second part. The second part is God's patience. And I, I am very thankful for one, that God is patient. Because there's not always been times in my life where as soon as he said something, bam, I did it. 
and I'm glad he was patient with me. We'll see that he's patient with, uh, with Jonah as well. And uh, if you follow me, we'll go to verse 4 and 5 here. It says, and uh, read out the word of God. It says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down to the, there's down again, Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and lain down and was fast asleep. So even the mariners were afraid at this point. They're, they're full-time sailors. They're not the land lovers like most of us, but these guys are full-time sailors, and they're afraid. So this is a serious storm. This is an unseasonal storm. They know they've sailed this route all the time, so they know what they're doing, and normally there's no, no storms here at this time of year. So they're sailing the storm raises, and they're like, what in the world? So it gets them scared. It gets them concerned. They're, they're, they're afraid. And so they're throwing, if you look in, in that verse again, as it threatened to break up the ship, it says that uh, the mariners were afraid. And they cried out to his own God. It says, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it. This is their livelihood. This is how they make the money. They put the food on the table for their family. This is their cargo. They're transporting this cargo for resale. So if we buy into that lie that Satan tells us that, oh, my sin doesn't hurt anybody but me, we can see that that's not true. You know, what I look at on the internet, the people I talk to, the jokes I tell, the things that you can fill in the blank with whatever sin that is in our life, it doesn't just hurt us. Because somebody needs us to be an outstanding Christian. Someone needs us to be an example of Christ that they need to see. And Jonah right now is not being a real good example for the Lord. And I'm not trying to pick on Jonah too much because we do the same thing. So they're throwing their livelihood overboard. So the sin that Jonah has is actually costing them. It's costing them income. It's costing them the ship is damaged. It's costing them some of their profits, being able to provide for their family or pay off their bills. So it's costing more than just Jonah to run from the Lord. I hate to wonder how many people aren't going to be told about Christ because maybe there was a time in my life that I was running from the Lord and I didn't tell somebody about Jesus because I was in a rebellious state or I was trying to do my own thing or tell God how my life should have best be ran. Well, I, I, I hate to say that. I, there's, I'm sure there's somebody out there who I needed to tell about Christ that I didn't do it because I was being rebellious to the Lord. But thankfully, God is also patient. So they've lost their profits, they've lost their wages, their provisions. And uh, we look into verse, uh, verse 5 here where it says, the mariners were afraid, cried out, hurled the cargo of the ship into the sea and lightened it. But Jonah had gone down in the innermost part of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. Another really good point of this, isn't this just like the church today? The church is like Jonah. He's down in the bottom of the ship and he's fast asleep. Well, there's a storm on board that scares people. There's the storm going on around the world that's scaring people. The world's in chaos. People are bombing things, shooting people blowing stuff up and the world's in chaos and the Christians are just sitting back and falling asleep and it's just unfortunately the New Testament church today there's too many like that I hope our church is not like that I hope our church isn't falling asleep I don't believe it is I believe our church is really trying to reach people but this is a very good picture of the church today the New Testament church is just oh we're comfortable we're reaching the people that are here we're not trying to reach too hard out to too many other people but Jonah had gone down. He is so running so far from the Lord 
that even the storm that's kind of designed just for him, he's still sleeping through the storm that was just designed for him. He's down there just kind of snoozing and nodding off, kind of like some of the people are nodding off sitting out there right now. So I'm just, no, you're awake, Dave. You're good. You're, you're good. You're fine. Thanks, Dave. So I pray that our church isn't like that. I hope that we aren't falling asleep and when the world needs somebody to tell them and, and to keep them out of those fears of the storms of life, that we can point those people in the right direction in their life. So um, I know that, I, I just have a little note here that I know that pastor tries to do a lot. We have a lot of people here. You know, we really can't cut our staff, consider our staff as one pastor. Uh, Ray and I do what we can to help out with, uh, with it as elders and stuff, but at the same time, uh, we can't reach everybody in our church. We try to talk to as many people. We try to message as many people, pray for as many people as we can, but we need other people on board. We need other people helping. We need us praying for us that we make wise decisions, right decisions that help the church move forward, to spread the gospel, to support the right missionaries, to use our funds wisely, all those kind of things. So as you think about it, pray for us as a church, us as individuals, as leadership, that we can be a church that isn't sleeping, isn't down there just ignoring the storms of life of everybody around us. The fears around Abu Dhabi is losing jobs, not getting paid, get paid the wrong amount, people taking advantage of you, people using you or not utilizing your talents properly or telling you one thing, doing something. All these are the storms around us right now. That's the storms that the sailors, in our sense right now, are facing. That's the storms they're facing. And we know the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can tell that to them. So there's another, uh, another funny piece here is if you look, look down in verse 6. It says, so the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call to your God. Perhaps the God will give us thought to us and we may not perish. So... It, it, it's funny that, remember a few verses ago that these are the sailors, they're praying to their own gods, so he's not a Christian. Jonah's the prophet, he's the Christian. But the lost guy is telling the Christian, can you pray? Hey, do you, do you mind waking up a little bit? Can you pray for us? We, we could really use some prayer right now. We could, if we're having some trouble, we really got some... The lost guy is telling the Christian to pray. That's kind of backwards, but when you're running from the Lord, sometimes things are backwards like that. We're like, what in the world is going on? And so it's kind of funny that the lost mariners are telling the prophet to pray. And if you know you're Christian, you know how you should be acting, and it's bad when the, when the world knows how you should act more than you know how you should act. And I got a, there's a, a, a story I read in the, this was a, uh, out of a, a paper, a newspaper out of Texas, John, I like that. And there was a, this goes back to the point of the, the lost world knows how the Christians should act more than the Christians sometimes. It says, a bar called Drummond's in Mount Vernon, Texas, began a construction on their building, hoping to grow their business. And so the bar um, was, exp was expanding and, and growing and building, and says in response, a local Southern Baptist church started a campaign to block the bar from expanding. Prayers and petitions and, and papers to be signed went about. And about a week before the bar's grand opening, a bolt of lightning struck the bar and burned it to the ground. Afterward, the church folks were all happy and smug, like, yes, 
The angry bar owner eventually sued the church on the ground. This is a true story. You can look it up. <laughs> I saw the paper. It's amazing. The church um, well, ultimately, the bar owner eventually sued the church on the grounds that the church was, quote, ultimately responsible for the demise of his building through direct actions or indirect means. Of course, the church vehemently died, denied all responsibility or any connection to the building's demise. And in doing this, this is what the judge said right before that the, the hearing went to hearing. It says this, The judge read carefully through the plaintiff's complaint and the defendant's reply, and he opened the hearing by saying, I don't know how I'm going to decide this, but it appears from the paperwork that we have here is a bar owner who now believes in the power of prayer and in an entire church congregation that does not. <laughs> The lost knows how the church should be acting. Hey, they should have been praying against me. That's what they should have been doing. So the judge is like telling them, hey, if you guys are praying for this, you can give credit where credit's due. It's amazing that sometimes the lost world knows more of how we should act than we do. There's a, I didn't put it on there, but I, there's a verse also. If you look, there's a, you say, that's just a random example. There's an example in scripture. And Matthew 27, 63 and 64, and I didn't make a slide for this. Sorry, Estelle, didn't get it to you. I had it written down, I never sent it to her. And here's what Matthew 27, 63 and 64 says, uh, saying, sir, we remember that that deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, at least the disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, he is risen from the dead so that the last error shall be worse than the first. If you remember after the crucifixion, the, the disciples kind of went where? Where'd they go? Back to fishing. But the, the people who crucified him said, hey, remember that deceiver, they called him a deceiver, he said he was going to rise again. He remembered Jesus' promises, and his disciples didn't. Disciples said, okay, there he's crucified. Let's go fishing. <laughs> but the lost is like, hey, put a guard there. We don't want him to rise from the dead. He said he's going to rise from the dead. He's been doing all this. They knew the miracles he'd done. They knew he was walking on water and feeding the 5,000. He was raising the dead. He was healing lepers. He was doing all these miracles. And the, the lost kind of is like, ooh, this guy's powerful. We better keep an eye on that sepulcher. The disciples are like, let's go fishing. <laughs> okay. Makes no sense. What the world, what the, what the world sees in the, in the church, sometimes the Christians need to see it for ourselves too. And so this is kind of a pointed lesson right back at me as well. And, uh, but I'm glad that God is patient. And um, you know, the, the story about the church and the bar, that's kind of funny. And the, the relationship to that in, in Matthew is also a, a, a really interesting one. So... Um, we can plug that in, but we need to make sure that we're, we're being a right example for the Lord Jesus Christ. And all that we do, the promises he said are real. They're, they're, they're without doubt. Let's look in uh, verses uh, 7, 8. We'll, we'll kind of move up a little bit of speed here because we, we need to keep it moving. It says, And they said one to another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Now, it doesn't say exactly what lots are. Lots could be like, Sticks, drawing straws, could be you know pebbles or rocks or dice or something like that. They could be out there going one, two, three, oh, oh 
Jonah, you lost again. That was paper and this is scissors. And you got to think of, you know, it doesn't say what it is, but they're casting their lots. They're doing something. To, but every time it's coming up, Jonah, they throw the sticks up in the air and it comes out an arrow. Jonah. We think it's you, you know. And it says that the lot fell upon Jonah. And they said unto him in verse 8, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So they're saying, okay, now exactly who are you? This is, uh, this is weird. We've never thrown all the sticks in the air, rolled the dice, drawn straws, and rock, paper, scissors, and man, five for five, it's you. And so here's Jonah's response in, in verse 9. And this is kind of funny, too, because you'll see in a second. And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who hath made the sea and the dry land. Okay, so he tells them he's a Hebrew. Now these guys are like, well, Hebrew. He's, he worships that Hebrew God, the one who parted the seas for Moses, the one who drowned Pharaoh's army. He's the one who had the pillar of, of, of cloud and, and fire, and he's the one who allowed the prophet Elijah to call down fire from heaven and all the prophets of Baal. That's the Hebrew God, that one your servant? And then he mentions he's the prophet of, or he's the God of heaven and this land and the sea, the sea that's about ready to break our ship up, rather swallow us down and take our lives. That God? Yeah, that's, that's, that's the God. So, but Jonah tells him a kind of funny part in this. If you look in the verse, he says that, after he says he's a Hebrew, and he says, and I fear the Lord God of heaven. He's not being exactly accurate here, I would say. <laughs> he's, he's running from the Lord. He's not quite telling the truth. He could probably scratch that part off for a while of his, uh, of his little business card that he gives people. I'm a, okay, maybe God-fearing. Oh, I'm semi-God-fearing. Uh, okay, I'm running from the Lord. <laughs> he's not exactly telling the man the truth, but he's like trying to be all spiritual now. Well, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord God. He doesn't... So far, everybody's prayed but him. And you'll see it later on. He doesn't even pray until chapter 2. Right now, all, the, all of them have prayed to their false gods and everything, and he still hasn't. But they say, who are you? Where are you come from? So he's telling them. He says he's, he's a follower of God of heaven and the sea. So then it says, the men were exceeding, verse 10, and the men were exceedingly afraid and said unto him, what is this that thou hast done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they were extremely afraid. We're just going to move ahead to keep to pick this up. He said unto them, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said unto them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea, will, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So now he's actually telling the truth to them here, saying, Yeah, it's because of me this has come upon you. But you see this? He's saying, I would rather die than the people of Nineveh to hear about the Lord. Because God just might forgive them. And I don't want that. I want them to be judged. I want them to be killed. I want them to be taken out for all the bad things they've done. He's still upset at me. He would rather die than them to come to know the Lord as, as their God, as their Savior. So he still is in that rebellion state, but he's saying, just throw me over and kill me. Let somebody else go and tell those guys. I'm out. I'm not doing it. So he still has a bit of rebellion in him. But thankfully, as this second point is, God is patient. God could just take him out and say, okay, fine, I'll get a different prophet. You're gone. Okay, you. He's patient. And thankfully, he's patient with us as well. So if you look in uh, verse, verse uh, 12 and 13, 
says, he said unto them, pick me up, hurl me in the sea, we'll quiet down for you. Nevertheless, in verse 13, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the, if you look there, it says the Lord. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. Now they're calling out to Jonah's God. They tried their God, the seas didn't stop. Didn't stop. They didn't calm down. I said, all right, I've heard of that God of Hebrew, he, the Hebrew God, well, let's call out to him and see what happens. So they call out to him. And in verse 13, um, O Lord, uh, therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. And so this is where Jonah gets a little rude awakening because he's expecting to die. There's nowhere in Scripture it tells us that Jonah was expecting some fish to come by and pick him up and give him a ride. He's saying, he's thinking, this is it. Okay, I'm done. I'm, he, I'm not going to follow God. Draw on the line. This is it. I will not go to Nineveh and tell these people. I would rather be thrown overboard, drown in the sea, take me out of the picture, did my prophet time. I'm done. Thankfully, God's patient with us. We may be done with God, but God's not done with us. And so, as we move into the, the last point is that of God's craftiness. And I say craftiness in a sense that it's amazing some ways that God moves our lives. Think of how you actually got here to the UAE. I'm sure there's stories through here that you could tell your friends of how you end up getting here, hearing about a job, getting a job, going through interviews, getting crazy stories everywhere of how he got here. God moves us here for a reason. We're here to, as the verse mentioned earlier, to tell everyone about the Lord, every creature about the Lord. We're all missionaries for the Lord. You, just, you may have a job title that says you're a pilot, may have a job title that says that you're a mechanic, may say that you work in petroleum, may say that you work offshore, may oil rigs, may say that you work in a store, you may work in a, uh, in a school. We're all missionaries because the Lord tells us all to be telling everybody about the Lord Jesus Christ. So God's craftiness, if you look in verse 14, as we get to the last parts here, he says, Therefore they called out to the Lord, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as has pleased you. And then verse 15 says, So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. So they throw him in the sea and... I can imagine Jonah, I always like to try to think of the funny side of things. I can imagine Jonah hits the water, he's going down, he doesn't know how to swim, and he's looking in the water, he's like where the ceiling is, he's swimming, and he sees the sun's out, the water's calm, and he's just, what in the world? And he's going down, and he's thinking, I'm going to drown, I'm going to die, I'm done, this is it for me. So they, cease, they throw him in, and the ceases, stops instantly. Look also then in verse 16, this is great. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. All those sailors who were praying out to their own gods and everyone picked their own god. Hey, you pick uh, the Buddha and you pick Allah and you pick Mother Earth and you pick... And, you just, and none of them answered anything. They call out to the true God. Sea ceases. They're like, oh man. Now they're exceedingly fearful, which means respectful or reverence or compelled to. This fearing of the Lord is a respect for God now. They're like, whoa, this is the real God. This God that Jonah was serving is the real God. They see what happens. The sea ceased from its raging, 
And the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifices to the Lord and made vows. To put it in our New Testament church age, these men got saved. Jonah is drowning. Down he goes. And the guys on the boats are praising the Lord, converting to the Hebrew God, converting to Jehovah God. And I can imagine you fast forward 100 years from then where Jonah and the sailors have all passed away and they're in heaven and there's all the sailors that got saved. Hey, thanks for telling us about the Lord. And he's like, what? He's in heaven. There's people that he had led to the Lord that he didn't even know about. There's people who got saved because of him and he didn't even know about it. And be nice for that as us too, but at the same time, it'd be nice to follow and obey the Lord. But I just thought that was kind of funny that he had people that converted to Christianity and he never even knew about it on this planet. One of those sides of this thing, I'd never heard that before. I like doing some research. I'm like, that's pretty cool. I think that's worth telling. But the people need to know about it. That's the first thing is they've got to hear about it because they were praying to their own gods. Oh, we kind of heard about it. But until he told them about the true and living God, the God of the Bible, that's when they said, hey, let's pray to that God. Then they were respectful. They feared him. They reverenced him. They followed him. They made vows to him. They believed in God. So in, uh, in closing, let's look in verse 17. Because God's not finished with him yet. He thinks he's done. He thinks he's drowning. He's going down. He's gurgling. He's pulling in some salt water. And it says in verse 17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So God's like, okay, they'll throw you over. They did it. Sea stops. They convert. And Jonah's thinking, this is it. I'm down. I'm going to close my eyes one more time, take in this bread, take up the water. Lungs will fill with water, and I'm going to die. God wasn't done with him yet. Because if you notice throughout this story, if you've, everyone's heard it before, so I'm not like, this is not a spoiler thing. At the beginning, he prepared the storm. He prepares a fish. If you look on later on it, he prepares the east wind. He prepares that gourd. He prepares the worm. So what we see out of the book of Jonah is that the sea obeys him, the fish obey him, the plants, the animals, the insects, the nature itself obeys God. The only thing that doesn't obey God is us. When God asks us to do something, we're the only one that's giving him trouble. And he's going to change that one of these days. He's going to come back again. And the industry is going to judge us all. So hopefully, again, this touches, this really was kind of in, stabbing me a bit as I was preparing for it because there's times where I don't always follow the God the way I should. And so I'm checking myself, okay, I need to obey the Lord regardless. If it sounds crazy, I don't like it, I don't want to, do, I'm going to obey the Lord. And so hopefully we can plug that in our lives too. So as we close out for the, the rest of the, of the first chapter today, we'll finish up with some more stuff next week. But in closing this out, don't buy into the, the lie that God is, God is finished with me. My life's too old. I'm not at the right age. I'm not able to speak. I can't go and tell people. I can't teach people. I can't. I'm not usable by God. That's a big lie that Satan wants you to believe. Whether you can teach little kids, whether you can teach adult kids, whether you can do something in a Bible study, you can help out in church, or work, there's always something you can do. You want to tag along with a missionary when he goes through one of the worker camps. If you want to do anything you want to do for the Lord, you can do that. You're not too old. You're not too young. You're not the wrong size. You're not the wrong job. I don't have a good speech. I don't understand land. That doesn't matter. Be willing to do what the Lord wants us to do. 
even if it's going to Nineveh, a city that does not like you. If you're one Hebrew guy going in where armies couldn't take him out, that's pretty intimidating. But the Lord's with us. He's going to fight our battles. He's going to lead us along the way. So don't buy into that lie. And I'm useless to God is another one that we've heard. Oh, I can't do anything. God doesn't want me. People like me, my, I've been too bad. I've done too many things too bad. You don't know the things I've done. We've all are sinners and come short of the glory of God. We've all done bad things. You know, if you knew the things that I've done, you probably wouldn't be out there sitting there listening to me. So, I mean, I, I don't have a horribly bad past and stuff like that, but I am still a sinner. I still need forgiveness. So nobody's background is so bad that God can't use you. God can't take you and allow you to be used by him and tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ and see them come to the faith, just like the mariners, just like the sailors converted their life over. When you least expect it, turn the life around of somebody. Maybe it's a family member, a friend. Maybe it's a total stranger. One last story in closing was that uh, a United American football, let me paraphrase this properly, American football has a Hall of Fame place, and they had a... Um, Hall of Fame parade, and they have a, it's the first game of the, of the fall season. It's more of an exhibition game, but it's, uh, it's in the 10 miles, 18 kilometers from the, the place I grew up. My grandma lived like literally one kilometer from the stadium. She was very, very close. You could hear the game from her yard. And so our church would go down to the streets there and pass out tracks and stuff to the, the people that were coming in for the big, you know, the, the parade and the ceremony and all the new Hall of Fame inductees and stuff would come in. And so I was home from Bible college, and to make a long story short, I went down there with some of the people from the church. There was a guy standing there on the, on the bus stop, right at the corner of where the, all the activities, the streets are closed off, they have the game set up, and they have, you can buy merchandise and stuff, all the stuff set up there. And there's a guy standing on the street corner by the bus thing. And I was like, I was standing with some friends from church, I said, you see that guy? The guy there has got a gym bag and a backpack. He's not here for the Hall of Fame game. He's just waiting on a bus. He just happens to be going through Canton, Ohio at the wrong time. <laughs> and its streets are all crowded, and he's trying to get, wait on a bus that's probably backed in traffic. I said, he's not busy. He would be a good person to go and talk to. And so they're like, the two guys would be like, okay, let's go talk to him. So I walked over, I said, hey, man, I just, and I don't remember everything I said, but in a long story short, I said, hey, dude, if you were to die today, are you 100% sure that you would go to heaven? And I'm skipping a lot of the, the small talk stuff, but he's like, no, not really. I said, what time's the bus come? He's like, it's like 30 minutes. I was like, can I just show you from the Bible? Not from my opinion, not from what my church believes, not from what our religion follows. I said, let me show you from the word of God that you can know that you go to heaven. And he's like, sure, why not? So we sit down on the bench there. There's thousands of people walking around us carrying little balloons and t-shirts and helmets and everything for the football stuff going on. And this guy sits down, and I open the Word of God, and I shared him the Word of God. I was all nervous. I'm like, man, I'm just coming out of Bible college. I'm here. And this guy didn't care. He's like, sure. He sits down, he's listening to it. And I could see after about two minutes, he's like, I heard that when I was a kid. And I could like two or three minutes, I don't remember the time frame, maybe a little off, but like two or three minutes later, he's like, yeah, I believe that. And I took him through the book of Romans. And I got to the part where if thou shalt call upon the name of the Lord, thou shalt be saved. I said, would you like to ask Christ to be your personal Savior, to be the Lord of your life? He's like, yeah, I would. I'm like, wow, man. You know, it's like, okay, now what do I do? So I'd only led a few people to the Lord by this time. So right there, 
thousands of people walking up down the streets. All the ceremony stuff's going on, music's playing, games are being played. This guy bows his head and asks Christ to be his personal savior. Nothing about me. Don't take that as anything on me. But the Lord's wanting to use you for anything. You see somebody you don't even know. What that person doing? You see, observe. Be observant to what the Lord is directing and guiding us to. There's always somebody out there who's a little bit down, needs to know about Christ, having a hard time. Just be observant to that. Jonah had a whole bunch of people on a boat that none of them knew the Lord. But thankfully, he had enough of a testimony, enough of a witness that he said, hey, God made the heaven, made the land, made the sea, and we need to follow him. So let's be open, let's be observant to what we can see the Lord moving us to do this week to tell the lost about the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. And Father, we do come before you, and we are thankful for the example that you've given Jonah. Well, we realize that this is not a book about Jonah. It's, it's not a book about a whale. It's a book about God. It's a book about God's forgiveness, your patience, your long-suffering, your endurance towards us, Lord, and, and in spite of us running or not obeying you from time and time again. It's your story of how you love us so much that you would do the most gentle way to pull us back, to get our attention, to help put us back in the right direction. And Lord, we pray that we'd take these words to our heart, to our lives, to our church, to our families, to us as individuals. Allow us to be used by you. We do want to tell people about Jesus. We have opportunities that arise all the time. When visitors come, when people are in home groups, when we meet new people at work, there's so many people that are out there lost who need to know about the Lord God of heaven who created the land and created the sea. Lord, we ask, Lord, if there is somebody here who's not really sure about who that God is, they're not sure about which God they're really serving. They've heard about Jesus. They've heard about these things, but they're not really sure. Lord, if there's somebody here who's not really sure, help me talk to Ray, myself, one of the, one of the ministry team leaders. And would be love to sit down and show them not what our religion says, not what the church is saying, but what the word of God says of how they can be saved. We ask, Lord, that you would receive the glory and honor and praise in all these things. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.